take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Welcome to our latest episode of Field Preachers. I'm your host, Rachel Gilmore, the Director of Recruiting, Assessment, and Training at Discipleship Ministries, Path One, here in Nashville. And I'm excited to be talking to a bunch of pastors from my husband's home conference, West Ohio. Uh, I got an email and people have been talking. There's been a buzz about what you guys are doing in West Ohio and how you're innovating at this time. So I am honored to be joined with quite a panel of folks on today's podcast. Uh, We have Bishop Palmer, the Bishop of the West Ohio Conference. Uh, We have Brad Aycock, who's the developer there. And then we have three of their planter pastors in their greenhouse project, um, Kabamba Kaboko, Lori Steele, and Warren Clifton. So I'm so excited that you had time today to sit and talk with me about what you're up to in Ohio. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you. Great to have you. Well, let's dive right in. Um, Brad, tell me a little bit about Greenhouse. What, when did this start? What is it? Sure. Um, well, first of all, thanks for all the work that you all are doing at Path One. We appreciate how you're supporting and resourcing um, developers, conferences, church planters, um, and the like. So first of all, thank you for that. Um, the Greenhouse is born out of really Bishop Palmer's um, vision to start innovative, creative, new faith communities in West Ohio. Um, it's been in existence now for about four years, um, but, it, but it came out of just learning a little bit more about the history um, of church planting, new faith communities in West Ohio, um, learning what we did well, uh, learning what we could do better. And so out of that, we really wanted to put an emphasis on helping to invest in leader development, um, through network, helping them to learn how to network, helping them to learn how to fundraise, um, but ultimately to develop um, what we hope would be a, a strong, compelling vision for a new faith community. And so once these uh, entrepreneurial leaders come out of this greenhouse program, um, they can then apply for conference funding. And so, as I said, you're meeting three of, of the uh, participants from this year's cohort. This is our fourth year. And so out of the past three years, we have had 10 new faith communities um, launch that are reaching um, last count before the uh, quarantine. Um, they were reaching about 2,300 uh, new people since launching um, at the end of 2017 um, with 250 plus baptisms. And so we've got an excellent start and we want to celebrate um, the excellent start, uh, but we definitely are continuing to learn, grow, and adapt, particularly in this particular season that we're in right now. That's amazing. So how do you select the participants for this program? Uh, the The participants are selected through a, really, it's a year-long process. We go out, uh, myself, along with uh, the cabinet members um, of West Ohio, we go out across the, the conference, and we sit and we listen to um, various different people come and share their dreams with us. And out of that, we help guide them uh, towards one of two pathways. Um, we can suggest the, that they enter into our Fresh Expressions cohort that we have going, um, or if their vision is more of a what you would consider high investment, high risk, we take them through the greenhouse. Um, Fresh Expressions is really low risk, low investment, geared towards 
equipping the laity. Um, Greenhouse is really that um, big, big vision. Um, so we spend six to eight months with these particular individuals in the greenhouse, helping them um, to retool or learn new skills um, to develop that plan. Oh. Well, and something in hearing about the origination of this idea and, and where it all began, something that's unique and I think a beautiful witness to what it looks like when it works well in a connectional church system is that you had the full support of Bishop Palmer. So tell me what that means to you to have the bishop really get behind this program. And then Bishop, I'd love to hear from you as to uh, where this idea came from and uh, the impact you feel you're able to make as you support these new entrepreneurial leaders. Yeah, without that, I mean, this isn't happening. Um, we have really put an emphasis on revitalization over the years, but I think um, our leadership realized that um, that takes time. Um, revitalization can take five to seven years in the church world um, if the church has five to seven years. Um, whereas we need to continue to invest in that. Uh, we also need to look at launching diverse new faith communities um, so that we can uh, create some momentum and reach some different types of people that we haven't really been able to reach yet. And so uh, without uh, Bishop Palmer's vision and support and permission to experiment, permission to fail, permission to uh, go after dreams that are destined to fail without divine intervention, um, <laughs> it doesn't happen. So uh, that's really the key. And so I hope other leaders can see and learn from what he's doing here. So. Absolutely. And Bishop, I'm sure, you know, Episcopal leaders, you have a lot on your plate, a lot of things you can emphasize. Why Greenhouse? Why this? Well, Greenhouse is a part of the work that uh, Brad has gotten going for us as uh, the director of New Church Development, which is a part of a, um, um, a stream in our organization that we call Missional Church uh, Development, which is about new ch church starts and it's about uh, congregational redevelopment. And uh, so let me say the greenhouse in particular is is Brad's um, uh, dream and baby, uh, even though we envisioned that we would need some incubator, uh, whether or not we called it a boot camp or a greenhouse that would help uh, us identify leaders, as well as to um, kind of track people with this potential uh, into places where they could uh, serve and live out not only their dream, but maybe some dreams that we had. Uh, the, the best convergence is when some specific dreams in the life of the districts or the annual conference converge with the passion and dreams of the new church developer. And, and sometimes there's a mutual kind of catching fire. So sometimes it's the developer uh, who says to Brad or to the DS, um, you know, what if we targeted this group, this community, this demographic? And sometimes it's the other way around. We may say to Brad, do you know someone or do you have someone in the pipeline who could target this group, this community, this demographic? Uh, so it's a part of an overall plan, but there's no doubt that uh, the brains uh, and the energy behind it uh, is is Brad Aka. I love that. I love the collaborative spirit. and It's beautiful and hopefully a model that other annual conferences, if they haven't adopted already, will definitely do after hearing more about all that you've accomplished through this mm -hmm. um, approach to church planting. So with that being said, Thanks let's dive point. in a little bit. What what? I'll, I'll talk to some of our greenhouse cohort members who are present with us today. Um, 
Let me start with you, uh, Kabamba. Why did you want to be a part of Greenhouse? I was, I really thanked God when I was invited to go for the interview. Through the interview process, I discovered something. As I was expressing myself, my why, my purpose on earth and in the ministry, I discovered just great things from the questions that were asked of me. So that's I said, this is the place that I need to be so that with my colleagues together, we can learn so I can turn green, as you can see behind me. So I wanted to be a tree planted by the water, and that's what is happening. That's amazing. I'm excited. <laughs> that's great. What about you, Lori? Um, actually, uh, when Brad came into the West Ohio Conference, I went to like his first um, meeting that he had, and I actually wanted nothing to do with the greenhouse. Um, so you can edit that out if you need to later. But, um, you know, actually what has happened is my de personal development over the course of this time. And then I was kind of told, you really probably need to go uh, and talk to someone about this greenhouse thing. And so when I was interviewed, the two things that have come out of that really for me is because uh, I can be like, I have all these ideas and what I'm learning is to have some tools and some processes and the processes and the tools that we're learning in greenhouse uh, work differently for each one of us, but it's it's helped to, to focus me a little bit more and, and giving me some extra tools that I didn't have. But it's also more than that, it's helping to change my mindset. I come out of seminary, one of the best educations I've ever had, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I've been through all the, the hoops of becoming an elder in the church. I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. But it also has made me it's helping me to develop the ability to to separate that some and realize that there's a there's a language that we use and a mindset that I had that was very uh, you know doxology and book of discipline driven and there's people out there that if we're going to reach them for Jesus Christ need to hear maybe he, they still hear some of that stuff but they hear it in a little bit different way and they hear about our connection and the grace and and we just have to find the right words in this in this environment to be able to do that so the greenhouse is really giving me. Uh, the support and the tools I need to to do that, and also um, I think Brad even used the term to fail, you know, to to be supported so much through a process that we can uh, have these uh, these calls on our lives by God, and and to be able to take them into a community we feel drawn to, and then and and then be able to fail or and move on to the next thing, but be okay with it when we have such a um, such a strong mindset otherwise. That's huge. I love that. Failing forward is something we really yeah. need to embrace in ministry because it's hard to innovate, but, but crucial. Um, what about you, Warren? Tell me a little bit about your story, how you came to be a part of Greenhouse. Well, first, it's how I became a part of the West Ohio Conference, I think. <laughs> I served in the Louisiana Conference, and there I trained to be a transitional, intentional interim minister and followed uh, two different church planters in that conference. Saw how they had planted something that reached new people that weren't uh, previously involved in church, but also that they had started churches that really financially weren't sustainable. So part of what I wanted to, to figure out, having gone behind planters and had to figure out how to make a church sustainable, um, was how to plant a sustainable ministry. So when I came uh, to the West Ohio Conference and was interviewing with Brad and others talking about making the move here to come on loan, uh, I met Brad and saw the creative things that West Ohio was doing in terms of church planning and saw an opportunity to kind of 
take what I had learned as an interim intentional minister following founders and look at how can we, uh, how could I, or how could I help others uh, plan a more financially viable, sustainable ministry for the long term, so that we can just reach people for a few years and then kind of fizzle out, but have something that has a lasting impact. So as I made the move here, I was I was appointed in a very solid church that uh, fortunately is in a place financially to maybe be the parent church of a of a daughter church or or a plant. And so we're looking at how uh, we can do some fresh expressions out of our church, but too how we might be involved in church planting out of our church uh, with other churches in the Northwest. Wow. Thanks for sharing. I love it. I love how all of your stories have common threads and yet you're unique to your own calling and experience um, and the difference that this greenhouse cohort has had on your life. And, and together it seems there are 14 of you total, right? And you've created this online worship experience together as a cohort. Who wants to tell me more about that? Where that idea came from, the steps you took to implement it. Sounds fascinating. Well, each, each year uh, as these select few people come into the greenhouse, um, the first thing we do is, is assign them to develop a vision for something new. That's not necessarily the church, but we want to get the entrepreneurial juices flowing. And so years past, people might start a blog or um, a newcomer's class or something like that. So this year, on the verge of the pandemic, we had already d- talked about what would it look like if we did some type of online community together to learn how to collaborate, to learn how to um, do marketing, to learn how to. Uh, develop new series and that type of thing. What would it look like if we maintained um, the ability to be nimble, to try different times, different days, different formats, and that type of thing? And so then the pandemic happened, and you saw probably every church scrambling to try to um, do online services. And so what I think uh, we realized early on is most of the churches um, in West Ohio are between 100 and 200 years old. Um, a majority are. And so the out of necessity, our established churches really have to connect with our members right now. We need to maintain uh, communication. We need to check in. We need to, to, to be ministering to them. Uh, also, we can't lose focus that there's a whole 60 to 70 percent of, of our, our country, our state, who might not know about the love and the hope of the Jesus that, that we insiders uh, claim to know. And so who's really trying to reach them? And so this particular vision was, was developed out of, you know, Sunday morning is most of the time right now for in, insider members, that type of thing. What about the rest of the people? What about the people that can't attend church on Sunday? What about the, uh, the rest of the folks who, don't want to attend church on Sunday. And so um, we began developing teams of two out of the cohort um, who would develop the, the, a sermon series, a message series. Um, they would host it online. They would uh, do follow-up prayer. They would help establish small groups and that type of thing. And so we're six weeks into it now. Uh, we launched with one campus, which was a website. We added Facebook Live um, two weeks ago. Um, we plan to add Instagram and Twitter as we go on with the sole purpose, of, obviously, to reach people for Jesus. But also, what can we learn 
um, that might be helpful for the larger church in the future uh, around reaching new people. And that's really our goal. And so we've heard from non-church people from all over the country. Um, I'm getting tweeted at now last week for changing the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, but it's been really uh, informative, formative, educational. It's showing uh, this group along with myself, um, what it's like to start a new church in today's world um, online. And so I'll share some of those early learnings with you in just a minute. Um, but the others may want to mention it as well. So we'll talk about it as well. So, um, Lori Kabamba Warren, how, how would you say it's going? What's something that you've learned that has surprised you thus far in your online church experience? I, I could respond and say that one, one of the things that you learn is that it's a low barrier to entry. It doesn't take a lot to get started. You might need to make a real significant investment to do it really slick and well. But the truth is you can start with an iPad or an iPhone. And as, long, as soon as you learn to have your phone face this way, not this way, you, know, you, you, have, you have overcome the greatest barrier to doing an online message. Yeah. Uh, also, for our online church, we're using the church online platform, which really there, there's so little cost involved in getting up and running on it. And on Facebook, you, you know, there's... And... and be live at any time. You can record and have a premiere and do watch parties and do a lot of other things. But what I'm finding is that one, it's, it's a low barrier to entry. The other thing that I think is true, and I, hope, I think Kabam and Lori will say this too, is just like uh, the traditional church, invitation is everything. Mm-hmm. There are people yes. who gently find us, but the people that we're intentional about reaching out to in our circles and inviting are the ones who are engaging what we're offering online, just like they would in face-to-face uh, gatherings as well. Great. Thank you. I'm glad you said that, Warren, because some of my folks that are actually showing up on Wednesday nights, one, they're loving that it's something in the middle of the week, you know, that they're having a, they're getting a, it's like a refresher. They're getting renewed a little bit in the spirit during the week. Um, But again, that's using language that, that makes sense to them. And that's my biggest problem with the online church is, uh, and well, not problem, I guess, really as much as watching each of us learn that again, our seminary backgrounds and our church upbringings and our knowledge of uh, church language, um, folks have, have messaged me and said, I, I, I don't know some of that stuff. And so I don't want to sit and listen to it if I can't understand it. So it's, it's finding for us, I think, as we move forward is finding a way to give them, give them the, the true message without watering down the message or out changing the message, of course, but giving the message of the gospel in a way that, uh, that they hear, that they can hear and understand, and that it makes it, that it's still connecting for them, and it's still truth from us in the way that, that it needs to be. So that's been the biggest thing for me is finding that language, both in, uh, in, the, in the sermon message that, that the folks, that each of us have done, or, um, and will do, or the music, and anything, just listening to some of the music and going, wow, that's a real church song. I love it, but, you know, but folks, are, but folks are scrolling past it because they don't have a connection to it. So how can we make, how can we, how can we over the weeks, tweak some of that so that we have some more, um, some real connection with folks? I love that. And that awareness that we kind of live in a post-Christian society in many ways where people just don't have 
the same familiarity with things that we do. I remember when I was planting a church in Virginia Beach, I was so excited to sing Nothing But the Blood one Sunday and embrace a hymn. And some of my unchurched people were like, that is creepy. Why are we <laughs> blood and being washed? And all? I don't understand. So, so yes, even things that are meaningful, you know, I've been, there've been Methodists in my family since 19, early 1900s, but if I want to reach people in this century, we might need to make different decisions or tell the same story, but in a way that they can hear it. Right. Sure. Um, what about you, Kabamba? What have you learned? Well, my church members have connected. Uh, they loved it. They like the fact that it's straight to the point, sweet and short. What I've learned is the community. Uh, Warren, um, Lori, and my colleagues, just being online and praying with people. Mm. Somebody who writes a prayer request and you go with pray with them. There is something happening, relationship building. I love it. And since coronavirus uh, put us where we are, I am doing online and being part of the greenhouse has really helped me. I'm not as intimidated as I was. <laughs> and it has helped me build a community and we'll get there when we're talking about people whom we met online. I love that. I love that you talk about building relationships because I think that's key to any online ministry we're doing that it's about reaching new people or reconnecting with people. Do any of you have any stories that you want to share of someone you've connected with online um, differently through this experience? Uh, Warren, do you have a story you want to share? Yeah, I was just going to share one of reconnecting really uh, by offering online church. I had a high school classmate that I haven't contacted with in 30 years that I've reconnected with. And what is interesting about it is the last time he and I had seen each other was a few nights after we graduated from high school. And there were some really hard and harsh words shared between us. And we left um, very much not happy with each other. It's the nicest way to put it. Um, these many years later, he found me online and shared with me that he's in a 12-step program and that he was trying to make amends for things that had happened in his past, including that night and the words that were said. And so we had a moment of forgiveness. And now he is online and sharing with his friends in California that I'm his pastor, even though I'm in Northwest Ohio. And so a friendship that had not existed for 30 years is rekindled. There has been forgiveness and healing. And I'm able to be his pastor half a country away. And so... Um, that wouldn't have happened had we not been connecting with people online and someone that we're mutual friends with on Facebook had not connected him to me after seeing me, you know, involved in this. So I think it's, um, I'm a little bit emotional about it because it's, it's a really neat thing to think that, uh, you know, uh, a friendship can be rekindled and that real healing could happen and ministry can come out of it all these years later because of this weird online connection that connected us when we're miles apart. I love that. It gives me goosebumps. It reminds me of that scripture, you know, what Satan is meant for evil, God is used for good. And yeah. this pandemic is a tragedy. And yet hearing you share about your experiences, the people you, that you're reconnecting with, the difference and it's made in your own life, giving you confidence in online worship is a way that the Holy Spirit is still at work in a mighty and a powerful way. Um, do you planters have any words of encouragement or advice for others who are debating or discerning what online worship might look like? 
May I, uh, may I also say something about connection online? This is a continuation of the relationship that I already have in the uh, community. But there is this particular woman who is very much all the time online. So we connected very, very well. She is not connected to any church. And I spoke with her today. She saw me and waved at me. And I said, tell me more about you because I'm going to have a, a Zoom conference. I want tell me more about you. What is your church? She said, I don't have a church. I said, okay, we're going to uh, start a church. So she's on. We're going to start church online. We have a relationship. I've never preached at her, never talked the Bible to her. But just show the love of Christ that is within me without saying the name of Jesus. And it's happening in this community. So I'm going to have somebody with whom we're going to build this church online. I love that. That's beautiful. That's your Barnabas. He's going to set out with you on this journey. That's amazing. Yes. I think watch this when we have it. I think from words of advice or encouragement, I, I think it's important to let people know that aren't trying this now and thinking about it know that you're going to meet resistance if you have an existing congregation because you have to define who your audience is mm-hmm. and the resistance i've found in my own congregation is that uh, hey the worship service that we're putting online does not look enough like the one we have when we're face to face and we want to do more of those things we want to see a liturgist and we want to hear uh, scriptures read and we want the lord's prayer and we want a children's message and, and all the things that they're used to and it's it's kind of helping to find that Right now, one audience is that church that's not able to meet and meeting for them, but helping them understand that what is a replacement for them right now might be a complement to what we do later as we try to reach new people with a different style of worship that's going to be better suited for the person who's not already in church. So it's just, I just say, you know, a word of encouragement is you're going to meet resistance, overcome it, right? Um, be, be willing to, to speak to the, the gathered church as it is and to the desire to reach people who are not part of that gathered church with the good news of Jesus Christ. I love that. Lori, anything you want to add? Um, Yeah, I guess for me, it's very similar to Warren. I mean, I think we're providing, uh, you know, a safe haven for our, our, our flock, so to speak now. Um, But not letting them forget. And if if they're going to start, if somebody else is going to start this um, in midst of this pandemic, and we're going to be in this for a, this kind of this season for a, quite some time. I guess I would have to say is you know t- teach them you know be the leaders that that you that you want to be and teach them that it's that it's okay to be both and to, to it's okay to love what you know. But if you love what you know and know what we know about Jesus, He also wanted us to go, and that means we have to find a way to speak what we know to others in a way that they understand it. And I think that's the biggest thing for me. Um, is, is make sure we're meeting, you know, we're meeting people where they are, even though we can't, even though it might have a mask, <laughs> might be involved in a mask, find, finding ways to meet people where they are, uh, even amidst of all of this. But even after this, if, if things go back to so-called normal, which I hope they never really go back to an, an old normal, I hope we find ways to, to create something new out of this that, that will speak to people, you know, with both and, that people will be okay with, uh, with loving what they know, but being willing to change enough to speak to it. Because if we really believe what we believe about sharing the message of Jesus Christ, then we got to find a way to speak it so they can hear it. 
Absolutely. That's that conjunctive theology that we love so much about <laughs> John Wesley, right? It can be a both and. Um, Brad, you want to share any of the general learnings that you've discovered? Sure. It's not definitive research yet because you're right, early right. on, but any tips for others out there wanting to know more about how this works? I think, you know, to the credit of our, our 100,000 United Methodists in, that attend weekly worship in West Ohio, you know, if we, if we kind of boil down the definition of a disciple is someone growing from selfish to selfless over over our journey of life, um, which is kind of what we all hope to pursue. I think we're in a season where it's it's okay to be selfish. I mean, we are missing some basic needs. We've lost jobs. We've lost familiarity. You know, we've lost contact with our family. And so going back to what the others said, I mean, we have to continue to find out the best ways to minister to our uh, members. And so also, though, um, uh, the addiction rates are increasing, right? Uh, there's a lot of things uh, happening in our world right now in this ongoing human experiment um, that no one knows what will happen. We've got kids. Who knows how that's, you know, how that'll pan out. So, so I think what we've gleaned so far after six or seven weeks is uh, online is more people, less commitment, right? So you got more people, less commitment. Um, we can expect to see more width and less depth um, to attend a church service in person. Um, there are many barriers to overcome. Uh, there's friction that exists, right? But to watch our church or anybody's church online, there are virtually no barriers to overcome and very little friction. So it's easy for people to discover us and get connected, um, but it's easier for them to disengage as well. So I think our next phase is to how can we develop a discipleship pathway, so to speak, for online church. And I think it starts with awareness for people that walk through the doors of an established church. There's already an awareness Um, for online church. You got to back that up a step and say, how can we create awareness? How can we stop the scroll? Sunday morning is hard for new churches right now because there's so much traffic. Um, new churches to reach new people. There's a lot of traffic. You can watch 20 or 30 different churches. And so I think you got to have a sense of awareness. You got to find out how to get people connected. And we're going to try some new things in the next couple of weeks to get people to take the next step, sign in, sign into our Facebook page, comment below if this is your first time, um, that type of thing. Um, we've got to get people to make some decisions um, in terms of, uh, I want to take the next step in my faith journey. I want to be in a small group, that kind of thing. Um, and then we got to get some people, people generally make a commitment. And that could be, like I said, a small group could be giving uh, and that type of thing. And so we're not doing this for our current iteration of the greenhouse. We're really trying to see what we can learn um, for the larger church as we move forward. And so um, I like to use the uh, image of a ladder in terms of discipleship. First step, you know, would be awareness. Second step would be getting people connected. Third step was getting a decision. Fourth step um, would be getting people committed. It looks different in person than it does online. And so those are some of the things that we're going to be playing with over the next few weeks. So... Well, and um, Bishop, I want to turn to you briefly. What a gift uh, and honor to have you here with us. 
And with a balcony perspective that you have over all of West Ohio and how all United Methodist churches are are doing right now during the season of um, COVID-19, give us an update or how do you feel um, the United Methodist churches in West Ohio have responded to this? Thanks. It's an honor to be here. I want to say that the congregations in the West Ohio Conference uh, have responded uh, nobly, heroically, and I want to say faithfully and creatively uh, to this challenge and this opportunity. If ever there was a case in which um, there was that real intersection that we hear about in the Chinese character that is crisis and opportunity together, uh, this is that moment for us. I'm not suggesting it has never been that way or that it will never be that way, but it is that way right now. Mm-hmm. And so there, we've got to work a balance between uh, what oper- we've got to raise the question, what opportunity um, does the crisis or the challenge create? And then how are we responding to that opportunity? So these um, innovative ways of um, moving into online uh, connections, worship and other forms of connection um, in a very robust way. Um, you know, there were churches that were already well positioned to do that. They were doing it some, they have upped their game. There have been other individuals and congregations that have um, gone into this or resisted it, should I say, with heels dug in, and now they've been swept up in it because almost everybody's trying to do something, um, even you know, on their own Facebook accounts um, uh, or other mediums uh, of social, social uh, communication and social media. So I think that's been um, fabulous. Um, I hear people saying things like, I've actually talked to my members more during this time than I've ever talked to them before. So while it's not physical, meaning making a house call or meeting people at a coffee shop or bumping into them necessarily in the mall uh, or something like that, I hear pastors and members of church staff saying, I'm actually talking to them. I get them on the phone and we're having more extended conversations or we're chatting through uh, some uh, social tech, social technology. So I see that as a, as a huge plus. Uh, the question is that when we uh, are sort of freed um, to do things uh, less locked down, how will we capitalize on that, but also incorporate our best new habits and learnings that have happened during this time? So both the technology, but there will continue to be some need for some physical distancing, even if we can get back in the same uh, physical room together. My hope and my prayer is that we will not throw out what we've learned in terms of the use of technology, but that we will it will become additive if we were non-technologically oriented as a congregation, as a pastor, as a member of a church staff, and that we would find the integration of the two so that we're actually addressing more people, both in congregations and in communities who may not be connected to faith at all, much less the Christian faith, uh, much less to our um, own congregation. The other, another place where I'm observing is we have a high sensitivity right now, and rightly so, to the disparities and the unevenness of the playing field. So even what we're doing here is a sign of the privilege that we have. 
I don't think we need to feel guilty about that. So that's it's not about shame in the game. It's about, okay, how can I help more people have access to this technology? Because even if there weren't COVID or a pandemic, what about all of the people um, who for years have felt disconnected because they were shut in uh, because of something physical, but only for them, or they were caring for somebody, or for the people people who who have worked on Sundays or even Saturdays for a long time but you know so how how do we how do we make what we've experienced available and make it more available to more people particularly those that are uh, disenfranchised as I said we've become um, powerfully sensitive to the haves and the have-nots in this time so um, I saw humorously someone with a lot of money. It was a uh, a TV uh, writer and producer uh, who, after a week, said, oh, my God, I, I've been home with my kids for three days and I'm ready to hurl myself against the wall. Um, whatever the teachers need, please give it to them. So so let me get a little political. I don't mean any harm to anybody. You know, how will that translate into school levies um, in the future? Or will people revert to, oh, no, no more taxes for me? So right now, we all appreciate teachers <laughs> uh, almost as much as people in the medical community because people are experiencing uh, this online thing. So it's those are illustrations of, you know, how will we continue forward um, with some of the things that we've become um, uh, sensitive, sensitive to. A couple personal observations. I think Brother Warren raised this. Um, you know, I've reconnected um, with people that um, I went to high school with, and I've been out of high school uh, 40, uh, 45, 40, yeah, a lot of time. Uh, <laughs> so over 45 years. And um, so mine, you know, I didn't have any stories of um, making amends at this particular point. Um, nobody was making amends with me, but people had time and they searched me out. We connected. And I thought how I how I've neglected those relationships. I mean, I could have just simply done better, uh, even though there was no animus um, and all of that. So for me, at a personal level, will I make an effort to be connected to people who've been a part of my story? I've spent more time in prayer. And in spite of all the Zoom calls, I'm actually um, hitting some of my targets for reading um, that um, I haven't hit in a long time because something else intervenes. And so I feel reasonably well watered in spite of the fact that I'm distant physically from people uh, because I've had that intellectual, spiritual Spiritual. stimulation. And so the question is, how will I parcel and manage my time uh, in the future so that I don't lose lose sight of those again? So those are some things that I think are both for congregations and for individuals um, that we uh, that I've observed that have been real wins. How will we move them into the future? One comment about that was going about earlier was. Um, and in several iterations, some of the colleagues, uh, Rachel, have said, you know, how do we speak, um, move from our vocabulary that is well honed from being insiders to church to thinking about people who are um, uh, haven't claimed church as a home? 
and haven't claimed faith as a home, much less Christian faith. And and I want to say, um, I hope we will be robust in that. We've all had to rethink, um, you know, I've got to be shorter on this video. People are going to pay attention to me for about 10, 12 minutes if I'm lucky. Um, that's been a huge discipline for somebody who's in love with words like me and um, who's used to going 20, 30 minutes. Um, that, that's not going to happen in, the, uh, uh, in this world if you want, if you want attention. So that's a good, a good discipline and a good learning, aside from the fact of trying to right-size um, right the language. Um, and um, someone pointed out that some of the more traditional folks with the online services have felt neglected. And I've heard it about 50-50. I've heard a bunch of uh, folks that are contemporary worship attenders on a regular basis in their congregations saying that the blend that most of the recorded or online services live have tried to do, um, they have felt um, uh, more neglected. So we're going to have to figure that out and there is an extent to which all of us who are on the inside, we have got to. This, this is from the pulpit to the pew. It's contemporary. It's traditional. It's um, uh, all sorts of demographics. We got to get over ourselves and say, Jesus has invited us to win the world that's not inside this church. And as Bishop Leslie Newbigin said um, decades and decades ago, we exist for the people who aren't here. And so this has been a heaven of a wake-up call to remember that we exist for the people that aren't here. That's not God or church hating on those of us that sort of already have it or on the inside, but it's, it's a mantra we need to keep saying, we exist for the people that aren't here <laughs> so that we can keep them in our view um, um, more than we keep ourselves in our view. That's more than you want it. I trust your editors will uh, trim it down. <laughs> oh, no, we're keeping all of that. I feel we like need to keep it rolling. This is good stuff. Come on. Preach. I'm grateful. Preach. Um, well, and for those of you listening in on this podcast today who are wondering what it would look like to preach differently, to preach in a way that all can understand it and in a timely manner, you have the opportunity. I feel like we've already heard a good word from Bishop Homer, but on May 13th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, he will be preaching at Greenhouse's online worship service. So um, please tune in, learn more, worship together connect, build relationships, um, and continue to grow and connect with those within the family of Christ and those whom God's prevenient grace is moving upon to reconnect uh, with the family of Christ. So, Brad, what website should they go to to try to watch that online worship service? So we have two options. They can go to plantwestohio.online.church. That's the website with a very interactive um, live chat, live prayer format. It's a 30-minute experience. We also run the identical experience on Facebook Live, um, launching out of uh, the uh, Greenhouse Online Church Facebook page. And so um, a couple of our Facebook social media managers are on this call with us as well. And so we also offer chat and engagement prayer on the Facebook page. And so either one of those, so plantwestohio.online.church or uh, Greenhouse Online Church Facebook page. Great, wonderful. 
And I want to um, thank John. I, I see that you just jumped in on our Zoom call as well. I'm so glad that you were able to join us. Is there anything you want to share about the about Greenhouse or the online worship service, what you're learning, what God's doing in and through this ministry? Uh, well, thank you so much for uh, letting me come in a little bit late. Um, I'm just amazed by uh, uh, doing the online worship, how many, uh, how many people are connecting uh, people are feeling like, and it's, uh, it's an authentic, uh, way to, uh, do church. Uh, we are definitely seeing people online that, um, that we haven't seen in person. And, uh, I personally have a couple of good friends who, who have taken upon themselves. They, they hop online now and they, uh, they become active, uh, chatting with people in the, in the worship experience. And is really surprising because they're folks who aren't, aren't typically that outgoing. So it's been great to see uh, friends get involved in, in different ways that we wouldn't have been able to get them involved even in person. So I'm learning a lot and uh, just really uh, excited about how this is going to carry over uh, to our ways of worship beyond the COVID experience. That's great. Um, well, I want to honor the, the time that I said I would uh, steal from you for this podcast, but I do want to turn back to you, Bishop Palmer, for one last question. Um, you know, these are difficult and trying times. It's holy work, but it's hard work, and it can be, I've talked to a lot of pastors and planters who have said, even though they feel like there's less on their schedule, they're more tired, and they feel like they're doing more now than before. So um, what words of encouragement or hope do you have for these planters on the call or any um, leader in a faith community right now who needs to be ministered to for a moment? Or two things I can say to them that uh, on Friday, every one of their staff parish relations committee chairs got a letter from me uh, electronically saying, check on your pastor and your church staff to make sure that they are uh, engaging in a healthy rhythm because they've worked intensely. And it was delicate because I didn't want to make it sound like people that don't get paid by the church weren't working hard because um, they couldn't do what they were doing without those volunteers. But I know our pastors and um, people that aren't ordained on church staffs have just been just scurrying. They're, they're just like that swan going across the water, that duck. Um, it looks cool. It looks easy. But beneath the water, this is going on. So uh, a word of thank you to all of our um, uh, particularly stipended church leaders that we call pastors, uh, directors of something, uh, lay and clergy that have worked nobly and heroically, and uh, uh, to encourage them to also find the sweet spot, um, because I'm not convinced um, that Jesus plans for this to be the cross that they die on. So he already did that, and he's been raised from the dead, by the way, uh, don't you see? So um, so uh, it's some, some balance to that. You've got to be intense when you're moving into a new, new setting, and then you've got to say, what's the, uh, the, right, the right rhythm? The other word of encouragement for them and for everybody is uh, really, um, it's a Jeremiah question answered many centuries later. So Jeremiah said, is there no balm in Gilead? So think this as you are modernizing this to a non-faith audience. That's a question mark at the end of that. And African-American people 
who were in uh, between a rock and a hard place would be the subtlest way I could put it. So we're talking uh, the institution of American slavery. Uh, In spite of all they were facing, they straightened out that question mark and they put an exclamation mark behind this phrase and they said, there is a bomb in Gilead. So that's my word of hope for people that work in the church, for people in the society, uh, because that metaphor of a bomb in Gilead could be used uh, poetically, even for people that don't claim any faith. There is a bomb uh, in Gilead. And uh, thanks be to God. And I'm glad to be a part of a team of people that are helping to spread the bomb. Amen. Well, thank you, Bishop. Thank you all. I'm so excited that you joined us. And um, uh, thank you to all of our listeners who tuned in for this latest episode of Field Preachers. Again, share this with your friends. Get others to subscribe. If you have any questions um, for any of the voices that you've heard today, you can direct those questions to me at rgilmore at umcdiscipleship.org, and I'll put you in touch. But I'm just grateful for your ministry, for your time, for the wisdom that you shared with us today. So thank you. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.